Okay, Mike, let's take that verse one more time from the top. Remember, we want to keep the lyrical content vague enough to appeal to the target demo, suburban teenagers. Think he can rap like that? No doubt. I got some crazy relatable rhymes. All right, Ray, when you are. Drop a beat. Wicked it wham bam, my rhymes get wicked. I flow like a faucet with linguistics that I'm kicking. I'm dangerous with the mic in my hand. And when I burn down vacant buildings, then I nut in my pants. I've murdered eight drifters in three different states. And I like to go back and desecrate the remains. I drink the blood of straight cats to make myself invisible. Okay, okay, that's, uh, that's great, Mike. I think, uh, I think we got it. Re- really, really hit the mark on that. Jesus. Okay, next track. This one's called Days of the New. Another episode of Days of the New. How we doing, Kevin? Uh, let's see here. Got my beer. Nice. And I have my glass of liquor. <laughs> oh my god! It's a. It, For those of you who thought it was a bit, no, it's a problem. <laughs> oh, surely. Uh, I'm. I'm still holding by my hard fast eight o'clock rule. I got a hydro flask full of water. I. I. I left the um, turbo chug technology at work. Oh god damn it! How are you? How are you going to auto chug? <laughs> I'm just going to just drink out of the big hole in this hydro flask. Oh, like a normal person. Like a like a normal visco girl. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, we're off to a banner start yet again. All right, well, we've gathered you here today to talk about Hybrid Theory by Lincoln Park. Uh, I have been so stoked for this. Uh, we've got we've letting a few things get in the way of that, but finally, we're getting to the main show. Absolutely. So I just want to address something really quick. Um, We had mentioned to a few people online that we were going to do a follow-up episode with uh, Trapped. Uh, We we became friends with a gentleman uh, that was their uh, stage manager for a few years. And um, we had a conversation with him and we were ready to, you know, bring you the hottest takes and biggest updates on Chris Taylor Brown. And then we just decided that like, we're, I just don't want to give this guy any, any platform at all or contribute to anything that he has to say. Um, I also think that we kind of got away from the point of this podcast, which is to like talk about stupid records and like make fun of a weird time in music. And it isn't necessarily just to be like political activists or, uh, you know, to contribute to a negative space. So uh, we shelved it. So um, thanks, Nick Gutierrez, for uh, getting on camera with us and talking to us. Yeah, thank you, dude. We appreciate it. But, um, you know, as I explained to, to Nick, the vibes weren't right. So we're gonna we're gonna go to a place today where I, I had a lot of fun. This album actually means a lot to me, and I'm grateful. I can say right off the top, Hybrid Theory totally holds up. Oh, absolutely! Like this yeah. is not gonna be spo- spoiler. It's awesome, right? Like <laughs> I, I, I joked, I think in a previous episode that like you know the era when we all like got over new metal, we were too cool for school, right? Like we were all into like hardcore and post hardcore and emo and shit, and like no way, I I, I, could, I could never like Lincoln Park, you know? Like I never listened to them again after their second album. I remember when we were going on tour and we had to have a sit down with our bass player, like, Hey, don't tell anybody how much you like Lincoln Park. <laughs> and like, I just realized how short sighted that was or how judgy we were like going back and to listen to this man. I had a blast. Oh, I had an absolute blast with this one. And I had a very similar experience where I was dating this girl in college. And even though I was like definitively a hardcore kid, like, I still had those CDs in the back of the book with maybe like, you know, a Converge CD over it so that nobody would really fucking see it. (laughs) And I remember I was listening to uh, Handsome Boy Modeling School, which was, okay, uh, yeah, Yeah, it was like Prince Paul, Dan the Automator, and they would just collab with a bunch of people. Well, one of the songs off of their 2004 album, White People, was a collab with Mike Shinoda and Chester Bennington. And uh, like DJ Qbert was on it. There was a whole bunch of people on that one. I left the CD playing in the car with her. And then like I hopped out and I grabbed this beer or whatever. I got back in the car and like Chester's going for it. <laughs> he just looks at me and goes, 
do you listen to Linkin Park? And I was like, no, no, absolutely not. Like this is, this is, a, and like I came up with this long wind exp because I was embarrassed and I wanted to get laid. And that was right, like when course. I retired Linkin Park completely from my vocabulary. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Linkin Park, right? So they're formed in 1996 in Agora Hills, California. That's a pretty affluent suburb of Los Angeles. You want to know who they went to high school with? Oh, please. All of the members of Hoobastank also went to this high school <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> this raises an important point, Kevin. It is very advantageous when seeking success in America if your parents have a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah, that's a bold stance. Uh, I know that's not going to sit right with some of our listeners, but... Uh, our, our very wealthy listener base. <laughs> yes. Uh, for, for the well-heeled folks of, uh, of the days of the new listenership... No, I got nothing there. Yeah, no. If you, having a shit ton of money and living in the OC is pretty awesome. Yeah, right. No kidding. It, we'll get we'll get back to that a little bit. So, singer slash rapper Mike Shinoda paired up with high school buddies, guitar player Brad Delson. You'll recognize him as the guy that wears gun range ear protection. Yeah. To this day, when he plays guitar, what do you uh, And uh, drummer Rob Borden to form a band called Zero. Now that's zero with an X, mm. not a Z. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Uh, they added Joe Hahn. We call him Mr. Hahn. Mm -hmm. Dave Farrell and Mark Wakefield to round out their lineup. Okay, so they somehow managed to shop their demo around to major labels, which again, in 1996, this is only a thing that wealthy connected people can do. Oh, yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, you can't just... Well, at the time, you could just send your demo to any major label and it would go directly into the garbage can, right? They were they were considered unsolicited and they just weren't listened to. If you didn't have representation, you couldn't, it, it, this isn't just a thing for you. Like, so bands got signed by A&R representatives from labels whose job it was to know what bands were doing interesting things or drawing big crowds. Zero, like, at this time, didn't even play shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Linkin Park, They once they formed, they definitely put in the work, but Zero just like made demos and Mike Shinoda's, and then we're like, why are we, why are we not getting signed? So their singer, Mark Wakefield, uh, he left the band in frustration because they didn't get signed. And their bass player went on tour with Christian ska band Tasty Snacks, S-N-A-X. I saw that and I was just like, oh God, could you imagine, could you imagine if you were sitting there opening up for P.O.D. on a, like a, six band bill for Quarterstone just going, fuck, I could have been in Lincoln Park. Right, right. And I mean, also Tasty Snacks. Why do ska bands always have terrible joke names? Oh, yeah. If you could work in the genre of your music into your actual band name. Ooh. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, right. So sucks. He leaves and then they become the biggest band in the world. Mark Wakefield, their old singer, did OK, though, because for the last 20 something years, he has been with Velvet Hammer. I believe at the head, uh, the music management company that represents the Smashing Pumpkins, Corn, System of a Down, Deftones, AFI, Alice in Chains, Code Orange, and others. Holy shit. Hey, way to go, Mark. Yeah, that's a pretty dope management company. Yeah. Like, that's a cool roster. Yeah. And we'll talk about Mark again a little bit later, too. So anyways, uh, guitar player, Brad Delson, who also goes by the nickname Big Bad Brad, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. So he gets a regent scholarship to go to UCLA where he's going to study communications, right? Like this sounds like a responsible young man. Mm -hmm. He's not joining, joining Tasty Snacks because he didn't get signed. He's going to go get himself an education. So this program got him the opportunity to intern with a member of the music industry. And he got paired up with a guy named Jeff Blue. Does that name mean anything to you, Kevin? Not a thing. Okay, so Jeff Blue was the president of Zamba Music at the time. I'm sure you're unfamiliar with, with Zamba, as was I, but it's a company that did publishing for like a subsidiary of smaller labels underneath Sony, like Jive and Rough Trade and Silvertone. Okay. And then Zamba eventually just changed their name to Jive. And I think we all know Jive Records. I mean, they signed Britney Spears. So uh, Jeff Blue gives them some honest critique about their music, and he offers them a publishing development deal, which is sweet, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I did listen to some of the Zero stuff. I mean, it, it probably warranted the publishing development deal. Like, they didn't suck. But the best advice he gave them was to link up with Arizona-based singer Chester Bennington. Mm -hmm. Chester, one of the absolute faces of Mount Everest. Uh, <laughs> and we keep going back to that. And if you don't know what we're, the joke is, like, we know that the mountain with the faces is called Mount Rushmore. Yeah, uh, but for aware. us, it's, uh, it's Mount Everest with a Z. Uh, and that's where the faces of new metal singers go for this show and the show only. Anyway, <laughs> Chester's up there. 
<laughs> with with, a, with just a whole trail of dead thrill seekers. Oh God! <laughs> oh, oh no! Yeah, turn turn left in green boots, and you'll you'll find David Draymond. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, go Google Green Boots Cave. Come back to us. Anyway. No, yeah, yeah, Google it. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Chester Bennington is an extremely powerful, bombastic singer, tremendous range, and just an overall killer voice. Great screamer. Um, also suffers from mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager, uh, had a taste for weed. Opium, cocaine, meth, and LSD. Yeah, but who didn't? Yeah, he's your perfect guy for a new metal band. Uh, Kevin, as a teenager, I wasn't doing opium. Eh, well, you know, hey, <laughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other, maybe some opium. Isn't that oh, what they say? I don't know. So uh, Chester was a huge Stone Temple Pilots fan and grew up wishing that he could become a member of that band, which is actually pretty cool because later in life, he actually made that happen. Yeah. Um, after the completely unsurprising heroin overdose with Scott Weiland years later, Chester uh, got the job. Did a tour with Stone Temple Pilots, which is ultimately pretty cool. Chester plays in a band called Grey Days, and they caught Jeff Blue's attention. They had pretty solid local success. They were playing 2,500 cap venues in the Phoenix area as teenagers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so pretty crazy, right? I mean, Chester, I think at this time, he knew that he had the talent, like, but he had all the drive and was writing all the songs and doing all the promo and, you know, got into that rut and was just really frustrated that they weren't really breaking out of Arizona. Chester auditioned with Zero and nailed it, and he joined the band. And he and his wife moved to uh, California. Can I just jump in here for a minute? Because, you know, there's just a wealth of information on Linkin Park. I think of all the bands that we have researched and covered on this podcast, Linkin Park probably, it had an overwhelming amount of information that you could Mm. dig through. And one of the things that always comes up is that origin story. And it's the same across the board. In that sense, the Linkin Park mythology is very lacking, but it's also the most truthful mythology that I've ever seen. Like there was a lot of industry shit in play. Like A&R factors heavily into why Linkin Park is Linkin Park. And it's like, you'll never hear an interview like uh, behind the music uh, about Led Zeppelin where some talking head is like, hey, you know, and then Sammy Lipschitz called me up and he says, I got this act signed to an artist development deal and I want to put them on a tour package with Vanilla Fudge, but their studio demos are just missing that something. (laughs) You you got the number for that Robert Plant kid from Band of Joy under contract? (laughs) Like, you just never fucking hear it. You you never hear something that says, this was made in a lab. This was designed by suits right it's amazing because we know that that happens a lot at this time well, tons but nobody has ever like gone from being made in a lab much like hoobastank to really really just genuine yeah and- i mean just you can think about how, how difficult it is and how unlikely it is for you and your high school buddies to become rock superstars without like a crap load of assistance yeah like like the odds that you're just your buddy jimmy on the drums just happens to be amazing and you write great songs and you know like like the smashing pumpkins like that's a lightning in a bottle situation yeah yeah it's a once in a lifetime thing and for it to happen twice where you get all the guys in zero together and then you find this vocalist who doesn't even live in the same state right well I, i will give them a lot of credit for the transparencies though and there was still work to do after this. So mm-hmm. they, um, they, they changed the band name. Uh, the band name becomes Hybrid Theory, which isn't particularly clever. Uh, you know, it's a nod to like the hard rock and hip hop and electronic elements that they were mixing together, right? Okay, super obvious. Yeah. Yeah. They put out a self-released album, uh, which began to kind of make its way around a very young internet, but they were still shopping around for the record deal. Hybrid Theory played 42 showcases for major labels without getting an offer. That is insane. Right? Like, I mean, I don't know if their live show wasn't great. I know that they were playing like weekly shows at the Whiskey at this time, like trying to get their act together. Dude, I watched an old, like an old Linkin Park set. And I mean, we're talking like there must have been maybe 600 kids there tops. They were good. Like, don't, don't get it twisted. They were good. And I think what it was is that when hybrid theory really entered like the public consciousness new metal was on its way out new sure. metal was done 
It, I think it was done with like the tastemakers, but it wasn't done with like the youth in the suburbs or especially in like the rural parts of this country. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, new metal is still big 20 years later in certain pockets. So like there was still a lot of money to be made in new metal, but I think you're right. I think that they were like, I don't, I wish that guy would stop rapping, you know? Yeah. So anyway, they're frustrated again and they reach back out to their old friend, Jeff Blue, who uh, is no longer at Zamba and at this point is a VP of A&R at Warner Brothers and he gets the job done. <laughs> yes, he does. Mm-hmm. So by this time, the band is urged to change their name due to legal complications with a Welsh electronic act called Hybrid. Um, so they decide on Linkin Park. Yeah, which is good because everybody knows Hybrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was in Tarnish, I found a band in England called Tarnish and I sent him a letter and I was like, we had this name first. None of us are signed. And they sent an email back calling me a corporate cocksucker. <laughs> and it sort of, that sort of woke me up a little bit. <laughs> Dude, I remember I was in a punk band called No Reason Why. And on the eve, on the very eve of our CD debut, we got an email from a band in Australia who said, <laughs> We've been no reason why since 1996, <laughs> and this is your cease and desist. And we were legitimately freaked out, like, "Oh my god, do we need to lawyer up?" Dude, and we, sh- we should have just told them to go fuck themselves. Oh, absolutely! I I love I love band name stories. Like, I, I used to know a guy that was in a punk band called Dukakis, named after Michael <laughs> Dukakis, and no joke, like, got a cease and desist from from Michael Dukakis. But anyway, so like. They named themselves Lincoln Park as kind of a nod to Lincoln Park in Santa Monica, but also because like it didn't really mean anything. There's a Lincoln Park in like every major American city, right? So like, yeah. kind of feels like a local band wherever they go. But here's the first instance I'm aware of of a band making decisions because of the internet. The band name is spelled the way that it's spelled because they were able to get LincolnPark.com. Wow. Wow. That's the only reason that they went with the, with the strange spelling. They were aware that the internet was becoming this important thing and you know, if they were going to ride the wave and they have, they've been a really clever band on the internet since their existence, but that was the first step. So uh, their sound was almost shot down right from the beginning. Uh, During the writing process, the label kept trying to get the band to fire Mike Shinoda (laughs) and move away from the hip hop parts of the sound. But uh, Chester and Mike, like they became friends and formed a connection really quickly. When um, Chester came to California for the audition, he stayed with Mike and like they really quickly started writing lyrics and stuff together. So according to an article I read in Kerrang, Chester told the A&R rep to go fuck himself when this was brought up. Interesting. Interesting. And Mm -hmm. I I will say that and... I know we'll get into the track by track breakdown, but right at the gate where every other band, as we've discussed, is backing away from the rap metal, they lean all the way in. Yeah, for and sure. I won't lie and say that that part didn't like really start to turn me off. And this wasn't th- this was like a alone in your car with the windows up album. But damn, it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a different experience because there were still new metal records that came out after this one that I was all about. So like I hadn't made my transition and I was still very much listening to the rock radio mm-hmm. and playing in a new metal mm-hmm. band. And like this album, it changed me as a musician, mm-hmm. which is funny because like from a guitar perspective, there's not a whole lot of music <laughs> happening here. But anyway, um, let's, let's talk about the album itself. Hybrid Theory was produced by Don Gilmore who has worked with a ton of radio bands of this era. I didn't know who he was. Um, he's, he kind of seems like the guy that you call when you're trying to get a single on the radio. Yeah. So he did, he did Eve Six, Lit, Good Charlotte, Avril Lavigne, Dashboard Confessional, and Sugar Ray. All of them, like the major releases by those bands. So, you know, he's the guy. You know, you, you want to get your song shiny and polished enough down to three minutes to get in, you know, to, to win on the Q101 cage match like you call Don Gilmore. The coolest thing he did, though, is he engineered Pearl Jam's 10 and that Temple of the Dog record. That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, he went on to be a producer, but he was, like, man in the board in those recording sessions with, you know, young Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, if you want a guy who knows what works, like, get mm-hmm. a guy who was sitting in on those sessions. Right, for sure. So uh, Hybrid Theory was released on October 24th, 2000. Uh, It's a diamond record, which is higher than platinum, meaning it's sold more than 10 million records in the United States. But but it's sold over 30 million worldwide. Um, It hit hit number two on the Billboard 200, and it is the best-selling rock album of the 21st century. Shut up. Mm -hmm. Are you serious? 
Yeah, but think about it. It came out in 2000. What else came out in 2000? Like LimeWire and Napster and shit. So like that, this is like the last big bang before record sales started to plummet. And here we are 20 years later. Bands get all stoked when they sell 4,000 copies of a record. Yeah. Wow, that's or, fascinating. Or 500 if you're Chris Taylor Brown hey, and Trent. Hey, hey, hey. 600. <laughs> Six. Loser. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> All right, so the first track on this record is called Paper Cut. So we've all already heard One Step Closer on the radio, right? So like, we know what Linkin Park sounds like, but when we first get this record, which I was so excited to run out and buy it, Paper Cut comes on and it's got, it's textural, it's different. It's not, it's, you know it's a turntable, but it's not the, the lame incubus like, wah, wah, yeah, like turntable. Yeah. It's like, it's doing stuff. It's moving around your headphones, right? Shinoda kicks in the verse. It's, it's a pretty tame rap. Like no one ever would say that Mike Shinoda is like in the master class of uh, MCs. Can we talk about Mike Shinoda for a minute? I, I don't want to sidebar us, but I, got, I, I just got to get this out of the way because this is a reoccurring theme for me on this whole album. Okay. That man cannot rap. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. (laughs) I wanted to really impress upon our audience. I mean, when it comes to the lyricism of this album, I want to quote from Chester on the lyrics behind this entire album. Basically, Don, Don Gilmore had a big influence on this. Chester said, our producer, Don Gilmore, made it a point to keep telling us, I want to be entertained. I don't want to hear about your problems. So as much as it killed us, we tried to balance out the poor me parts with the entertainment. And what he's really getting at here is that they did not write about personal shit. Or if they did write about personal shit, they had to dilute it down so that it would connect with the largest target demographic. And I think that's part of the devil's bargain of getting into that artist development pipeline and just rocketing to the top. Chester goes on to say, I can't talk about this crappy thing that happened to me and expect him to be able to sing it. In that case, he's talking about Mike Shinoda. So as they're writing lyrics, he's saying, hey, I can't write this thing and then have you sing it, which I think is also a cop-out. It has to be vague enough for us both to go, we can relate to it. And we found that by writing in that way, our lyrics were hitting home with a lot of different people and a lot of different age groups. And that's kind of one of the things about new metal is that it's always about the most general topic so that it appeals to oh, yeah. that that base yeah. emotion. I mean, it's, it's like we've called it before. It's low in, lowest common denominator rock. Exactly. And Linkin Park is very guilty of that here. Now, it's funny to me because in the future, they completely abandon that and start writing from a really personal place. But if you go on Genius.com and you look at any one of their lyrics, there is not one thing that annotates to any source. It's all just, here he's talking about pain and how everyone feels it. And here he's talking about maybe somebody who's like depressed. And there's nothing there that says like, in an interview, Chester said that blah, blah, blah. Sure. I dug really deep into Chester. So I do have some spots where you can tell He's singing about something that happened to him. But all the Shinoda parts are nonsense, basically. Oh, yeah. So one thing I want to bring up about Mike Shinoda before we move on. I said he couldn't rap. And I pulled out two verses. The first one is from Inspect a Deck from the Wu-Tang Clan song Cream. Though I don't know why I chose to smoke cess, I guess that's the time when I'm not depressed. But I'm still depressed. And I ask, what's it worth? Ready to give up so I seek the old earth. Here's a man using hip-hop to talk about his depression and his drug use and thoughts of suicide in a way that uh, is done in storytelling and that it's deep, it resonates, it hits, it's a classic. Here's Mike Shinoda from the Executioner's song, It's Going Down. Style assimilation readily, checking through the weaponry of the pure pedigree, cleverly seeing whatever is ahead of me, whatever the weather be, we invent steadily. It's all bullshit that just <laughs> and like again, like they just get into nonsense bars. And he does this through the entire thing. None of it means anything, but it sounds good. Yeah, it's it's more about attitude than technical ability, I think. I will say though, in paper cut, right off the bat, he rhymes today with today. <laughs> not, not not helping your case there bud no not great at least like it's got like pretty aggressive guitars and drums right off the bat and like chester's kind of hiding until the end of the chorus and then he comes out like strong which is weird because chester has stated on the record that paper cut is one of his favorite Lincoln park songs wow so the song addresses paranoia and anxiety compares it to a whirlwind 
without getting into it yet, that's a little bit prophetic. Um, I think it's a pretty good intro to the album. It's got a really killer bridge with a dual vocal harmony that at the time reminded me a little bit of 311. It's a great song. And as yeah. far as an intro, I feel like it really showcases the depth and the range of sound. Like, you know from the first track that you're listening to something different. Absolutely. Yeah, it didn't sound like anything else. Mm -hmm. So this was the fourth single on the record, and it still hit number 32 on the U.S. modern rock chart, which isn't all that great for a radio song. But the next song is the first single, and it's the first Linkin Park song that any of us heard. Mm -hmm. And that is One Step Closer. It's perfection. Oh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Like, I love how Paper Cut seamlessly transitions into it. The track placement on this entire album is fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, like, so I think that Mike, so Mike Shinoda was like a graphic designer before he, you know, went before this band took off. And like, he operates from that creative place. And this is one of the first like Pro Tools records, right? So mm -hmm. like, he does all this like copy paste shit with the music. I imagine pretty much everybody listening to the show has never made a record before. But like, when you put out a professional release, when you go through the mastering process, it's just one big long file for when you were, where you were putting it on a CD. It's different now that you're making individual tracks. But it was one big long file. I'm making grand hand gestures here that you can't see. <laughs> Good podcasting, Nick. Yeah, and you would select the mark, the minute and the second that you wanted the next track to start. Mm -hmm. So like you could program in gaps and spaces and stuff. So paper cut and one step closer have no gap. Like it just runs right, Seamless. right into it. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard this song. Um, it was basically the band that I was looking for that didn't exist. Yeah. It was like the sound in my head that I wanted there to be. And as soon as I heard it, I mean, I was driving in the car. I remember, I literally remember the day. Wow. It's wild. So, I mean, it's a really aggressive song. This is the time when like screaming and heavy music was finally like allowed on the radio. Mm -hmm. um, it's like what held the Deftones back from major success because there was too much screaming. Now, like here comes Chester and like he's got to scream. And ma that man can scream. You know, absolutely. I found this interesting because the lyrics, not the best. It's pretty par for the course for this album. So Chester Bennington recalled to Kerrang! in an interview in 2011 how the band was forced to fight for this song during the recording sessions for Hybrid Theory. Oh. So, quote, uh, when we were recording it, Don Gilmore was really drilling me and Mike about the lyrics, and it had gotten to the point where we had rewritten some songs 30 times. I remember walking into the control room, handing Don the lyrics, and he grabbed them, passed them in front of his face without even looking, handed them back to me, and told me to do it again. I lost my fucking mind thinking, this guy's a fucking maniac. But that kind of inspired the lyrics. I cannot take this anymore. I'm saying everything I've said before. All these words make no sense, right? Yeah. And the chorus, everything you say to me, takes me one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. It all came from that frustration. Does that play back into Gilmore's kind of dumb it down a little, make me entertained, don't sing yeah, about problems? I, I think so too, because I mean like the, the part where everybody loses their mind in the song is the bridge. Mm. Where, shut up, <laughs> shut up when I'm talking to you. It's so dumb, but like I'm, I'm 18 years old, like, yeah, shut up, dad. I'm about to break. <laughs> right. Love it. Right. Love it. Right. In, in my stupid small town, you know, surrounded by corn and not, not the band, but like <laughs> corn fields, um, you know, driving down gravel roads, listening to this guy. Yeah, man. But I think that uh, this, this is strange. So Chester owned Club Tattoo, which was a tattoo uh there were two shops, I think one in Phoenix and then one inside the Planet Hollywood Casino in Las Vegas. But at an anniversary party at Club Tattoo, he somewhat drunkenly mentioned that he thought that One Step Closer and In the End were piles of shit and should not have made it on Hybrid Theory. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. Yeah, it's it's super crazy. Like, th bro, those were your one and two singles. And like, yeah. That's, that's where all your money came from. <laughs> Do you got anything else on One Step Closer? No, I mean, I think that as far as new metal songs go, this is easily, easily in the top five for me. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I just think it's cool that, I mean, the whole song was written in the studio. This wasn't like something that they honed over years of playing live. Like they put it on wax before they ever played it in front of a crowd. All right, so the next song is uh, With You. So it starts off again with like turntable whale sounds. Holy shit. It is so new metal. This song is so, so new metal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it comes in with a really simple, but really heavy guitar riff. Like all the guitar parts on this record are played with one finger, basically. I love the guitars here. And I also love uh, about this is that 
in a lot of new metal bands, it's here's where we scratch and we're hip hop. Here's where we rock and we're metal. And it's cohesive. It yeah. is truly like, I mean, it's a hybrid. Uh, it, it, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Drone. Shut up when I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's your standard Linkin Park format, you know, like kind of wrapped Shinoda verses and a big Chester chorus. Yeah. It's also like your standard your ex-girlfriend song. For a record, though, that's generally pretty negative lyrically, I, it has a uniquely optimistic bridge mm. when it comes with the no matter how far we come, I can't wait to see tomorrow part. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't really have anything else on this song. No, I mean it, it's a it's a great third track. It's kind of like a like after that one two of Paper Cut and One Step Closer. It's not the best, but it's certainly a great song. Definitely. Points of Authority is the next one, and it starts with with a real bad Mike Shinoda rap. I hate this song. Yeah, I hate this song. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame and puts your name to shame. Cover up your face. You can't run the race. The pace is too fast. You just won't last. So bad. Hey. Hey, 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 Nick. Yeah. Here's a prodigy from Mob Deep on You Can Never Feel My Pain. And he's talking about his battle with sickle cell anemia that eventually took his life in 2017. So don't talk to me about can I feel yours? Because I ain't feeling you at all. Your pain isn't pure. You're crying because you're broke from the projects. That's not pain. That's emotion. Use a bitch. I'm talking about permanent physical suffering. Back to Mike Shinoda. Forfeit the game because the pain. <laughs> These are bullshit bars. This is nonsense. And that verse is why I do not like this song at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, Real quick. Yeah. So Prodigy from Mob Deep says you can never feel his pain. So Nick, could, could he feel your pain? Every, every time you listen to this show. (laughs) Sorry. This song uh, from Chester's point of view, I don't know what Mike Shinoda is talking about, but uh, Chester was the victim of sexual molestation by an older boy in his neighborhood when he was very young. That is the early trauma in his life that contributed to his mental state and his addictions. Uh, and this song is kind of about that. When he's talking about, you know, wanting somebody else to experience pain and all that stuff, like that's that's what kind of what he's talking about. So hmm. it very much sounds like Linkin Park. Mr. Han is just going off, off. in this song. Just going <laughs> The DJ scratches the whole song all the way through it. I got to say, on this whole album, Game Ball goes to Johan. I I think that he really like made the Linkin Park sound what it is. And I just want to talk about like where music production was at in that time. So Ableton Live had just hit the market in 2001. Programs like Serato and Tractor and DJ Pro are still almost 20 years away. As far as scratching goes, he's either working with vinyl or these super expensive uh, CDJs. And if your CD gets scratched, you're fucked. I found an interview with uh, Yamaha Access where he's talking about building out his home studio at this time. And he's, he's saying... I have my turntables, CD players, samplers, and keyboards with Pro Tools, and then run everything through a Yamaha mixing board. That is like super primitive and just goes to show like you could do what Johan is doing right now in a day, and you wouldn't really have to have that much skill. What he's doing here and the layers of sound that he's building are really phenomenal for the time. Also, one other thing as I was looking for equipment that Johan has used, According to an interview with Hypebeast, he also uses a Metasonics Scrotum Smasher. Uh, You want to elaborate on that for me? Yeah, sure. The Scrotum Smasher is a tube-based distortion pedal. It features options like Smash, Scrotum, Double Scrotum, (laughs) Mega Scrotum, and Scrotum Up Your Ass. If we had to rename this podcast, I would rename it to Double Scrotum. Double screwing up. They can Kevin talk about new metal. <laughs> See, I think I think uh, screwing him up your ass would be the uh, more appropriate one. So yeah, uh, Johan uses the scrotum smasher. Just one. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm gonna Google the shit out of that when the show's over. So the ending of this song has some pretty cool like cut and paste Pro Tools stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And not, I don't think any of us had ever heard anything like that. There are other parts on this album where it's there, but like it kind of broke my brain the first time I heard it. Oh, dude, me too. That's why it stuck with me for so long. And like why I wanted to, as we were re- researching this, I really 
wanted to find out as much as I could about what he brought to the band. Unfortunately, he's a very private guy, and there just aren't a lot of interviews with him. I mean, right. one of the only things I found was like a podcast on on the Marvel Comics website where he's just like, yeah, I like Ghost Rider. Like, <laughs> we, we all do, Joe. Talk about yeah, hybrid right. theory. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's move on to the third single from this album, and that's Crawling. Crawling won the Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance in 2002. This song, notably, doesn't have any rap parts, and it performed the worst on the charts of any of the singles on this record, yet this is the song that wins the Grammy. It's almost like the industry really doesn't want rap and rock to coexist. You know, it's, it's almost like the industry was trying to say, forfeit the game before somebody else takes it out of the frame and puts a name to shame. <laughs> See, there, that would make sense, Mike. Uh, oh, man. So this is a big, giant new metal trope. Um, it's the whole, like, pain in my brain is insane moment, except, like, the lyrics are a little better. Yeah, well, I was going to say that lyrically on this whole album, it's not a lot of substantive themes here. It's all pretty broad with the exception that I found of Crawling, mm -hmm. where Chester is talking about his addiction to amphetamines and how, you know, you'd get like the bugs under your skin and uh, it would be, you know, it, it would feel like it was crawling. So sometimes you get meth scats and sometimes you become an amazing singer. So, yeah, yeah he, told, he told Rolling Stone, Crawling is probably the most literal song lyrically I've ever written for Linkin Park. Uh, that's the feeling like I had no control over myself in terms of drugs. And it's not my favorite song. And I think that is completely due to just oversaturation. Yeah, well, and they rhyme heel and real and like uh, I hate that trope yeah, so much. Yeah. Next song is called Runaway. And this one doesn't even sound like Linkin Park to me until the chorus comes in. Like mm -hmm. it's got that kind of like incubusy thing that everybody was doing in the verse. This is the first one, like one step closer. Yeah, you get to hear a little bit of that Chester scream, but this is like the first one where we really hear him just go ape shit. And yeah, it's awesome. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I get what they're trying to do. It just doesn't feel like the most cohesive song. It feels a little immature that, like, gets super heavy out of nowhere with that, like, gotta run away, gotta, gotta run, run away, away part. <laughs> right. So this song was originally a Zero song, and Mark Wakefield has a writing credit on it. Oh, interesting. It's a perfectly fine song. It works within the, uh, the framework of this album. Is it my favorite? Not really. It was one of those ones where we were revisiting this and I was like, oh shit, I remember this song. Yeah, I did that a lot on this album. I mean, it, it, like any other album of this time, music, I mean, well, I mean, like music for a long time now has just been single based. Mm -hmm. And now bands like half the time don't even release albums. They just release singles. You had to have a whole album. So this is the middle of the album filler. And this next song too, By Myself, like... It's middle of the album filler, but even the filler in this album is worlds better than most new metal band standout tracks. By myself, I totally forgot this was my favorite song on the album. Really? You have to suffer through the worst nonsense bars, but the payoff is monumental. It's such a good song. It's it's my favorite on the album. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll have to go back and... and try and listen to it from from that lens chester completely makes this song in spite of mike shinoda's best efforts <laughs> to ruin it that's how good it is and like i love that that drum hit it became kind of a big thing when uh, slipknot came out where it's like you just sound like oh, you're yeah. taking a bat to a keg that oh for sure yeah <laughs> they do that i love it well, the next song is probably my favorite song on the record. Um, I think it's a lot of people's. Uh, it's the second single, and this song is called In the End. Mm. It uh, really shows off Chester's vocal range, uh, almost getting into boy band territory at one point. Oh, yeah. It totally blows my mind that Chester did not want this song on the album. It starts with a really pretty piano part played by Mike Shinoda. Uh, I like how they use the piano on this album a lot. So, I mean, this is like their crossover moment, right? Like, this is more vulnerable compared to the, how angry their first single was. This song got all the way to number two on the top 200 Billboard chart of, like, all top 200, not just rock. I gotta say, keep this in mind, I designed this rhyme, just kills me. Yeah, that's fair. Kills bad. me, but it's a great song. Whenever I see this song title come up on a karaoke screen i am pulling up a chair because it's gonna be amazing <laughs> if there is only one dude walking up to the mic it's gonna be even better oh that sounds amazing because he's gonna do that 
acting like I was part of your property. property. <laughs> He's going to try to do it live and it's going to be fucking great. I thought I had a scratch in my CD the first time I played that. <laughs> I love that. I love that effect. Yeah, I like. I don't know why he did it or why he chose to drop it there. I love the way that he worked with the, the vocals to just kind of get, like give them that stutter and almost like mm-hmm. that glitch in the Matrix sound. It was yeah. the first time I ever heard it blew my mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. Loudwire has this song ranked as the number two song in its top 21st century hard rock songs list. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know what number one was. Uh, I don't I don't argue with this. I'm sure number one was some gutless like, uh, you know, I don't fucking know. Like fucking Evanescence. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> All right. The next song is called A Place for My Head. This song sounds like the year 2000 very much. Yep. It's the first time that the guitar really does anything but one finger power chords. You know, even though then when he plays the chorus, he just bars the whole thing and plays the same <laughs> lick with chords. Like If you put your ear to uh, the pocket of a pair of uh, Jinko jeans, this is the mm-hmm. song that you hear echoing. I think that this is the first time that Shinoda like shines a little bit as a vocalist. I, I was just about to say, I don't yeah. mind the bars on this. Yeah, it's, actually, it's not bad. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is the first time where I'm like, hey, you know, maybe I was being too hard on him. <laughs> when you uh, we get to the bridge of this song, we get corn and Godsmack vibes. Oh, uh, heavy. You can heavy. try to take the best of me. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> But listening to this, like the guitar stuff on this song was so influential to me as a young guitar player in a new metal band that like I borrowed a lot from this album without realizing it. Like mm-hmm. the way that I like you didn't have to be good at the guitar to play along to the Linkin Park record. And it still sounded badass. And like, yeah. I got to that point in my guitar journey and was like, I'm good. And then I never learned anything <laughs> else ever again. Yeah, no, that, that's my Everest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next song is called Forgotten. Chester, um, no, don't do it. Don't rap. Chester, I no. know. Why? Why is Chester rapping? Chester, don't rap. You don't have um, to do that. This one was a zero song too. And the lyrics got completely reworked for this album. It was originally called Rhinestone. Uh, so you can definitely find that on YouTube. And it has Wakefield singing, not Chester, because it was zero. It was before Hybrid Theory. It's basically the same song. And Wakefield kind of sounds like Bargain Chester. <laughs> Like, for real, like, it, it's he has a similar pitch and style. It's like they took their guy and just, like, upgraded him without skipping a step. He's Chester's Doug Rob? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Shinoda's pretty good in this song, too. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty fun song. I really like the back and forth between Shinoda and Chester, even though he's kind of rapping. No, don't do not do it, Chester. I, I did like the, uh, the, the Busta Rhyme sample was nice in there. Oh, you I didn't even that? pick that up. No, they got the woo-ha! <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's pretty dope. Um, we're, we're nearing the end of this one already. The next song is Cure for the Itch. You know what the cure is? Scratches! Scratching, yep, yep. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, man, it's Mr. Han just going off. And it's like a journey piece. It's dystopian. It's kind of gnarly. I picture I like it. a dude walking down the street with a big gun in an, in an alley in like an action movie. He said that he wanted to make it feel cinematic. Yeah, and it does. Uh, it, it's 100% you are walking through the Matrix on your way to a big gun battle. Has Mr. Han ever put out a whole solo album? Uh, the closest he has come is uh, he directed a movie in, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018, called Maul. And uh, we, we might wind up talking about Maul a little bit later. Uh, he directed it, and it was his first full-length movie. He also did a, uh, a lot of the score for that, and uh, Chester actually contributed to that score. It should be on Spotify. It's uh, mostly an instrumental piece, and it's uh, it's very good, but it is not what you would expect. I mean, it's definitely not hybrid theory because okay. uh, over a decade's gone by. Yeah, sure. I will say, I would listen to a whole album of just this. this that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, like, I can't really listen to music at work unless it's instrumental because... I, mm-hmm. I just get pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I could like just jam that at work and like be in grind mode. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, so I looked into some of the samples on here and I was interested to find, well, I wasn't wildly shocked to find, but it's still interesting that there is a group called Skull Snaps and their song, It's a New Day, is sampled in here. It's a New Day has been sampled in over 500 songs, including The Far Side's Passing Me By. Poison by The Prodigy, uh, Give Up the Goods by Mob Deep, 
Mike Checka by Das Effects, and Butterfly by Crazy Town. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy oh, Town man. makes everything worse. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to get to it eventually. Eventually. The last song in the album, kind of, is Pushing Me Away, which for me is probably a bottom third of the record Linkin Park song. It's a decent album closer. It's another relationship song, but it doesn't leave me the most satisfied. Yeah, I mean, the bottom half of this album would be where all the filler is, but nah, it's it still like stacks up. The most forgettable Linkin Park song is still going to be the best song of another new metal Yeah, that's catalog. what I'm saying, for sure. I mean, like, Linkin Park is what a million dudes think their band sounds like, but they don't. The two vocalist thing, especially, it's so rare that you're going to find two guys, one who can rap, and I say rap in that it's pleasing to listen to if you don't pay attention to the lyrics, and the other one who can sing, and you're going to get those two together and they're going to have chemistry. I have seen so many local bands just eat shit. Oh, man, me too. Uh, it's so embarrassing. Oh, so many. Yeah, because they oh, both man. think they are the front man. Right. Yeah, and they just walk all... It's like having these two just in, insufferable egos try to go for it with not much talent. Yeah, this album launched a million shitty bands. So I want to talk about the song My December. <laughs> the Christmas um, song? I mean, it's kind. I mean, I mean, it's not directly a Christmas song. <laughs> this song was originally recorded for inclusion on K Rock's "The Real Slim Santa" CD. See, I have it as um, they wrote it right after um, "Hybrid Theory," and it was it was released as the B side to "One Step Closer" when they put out the single. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, like, I really like this song. It's like a softer track. It's basically just like Chester, a drum machine, and a piano. And like, it's super vulnerable and it sounds, it's a lot different. It's sort of like um, when the Smashing Pumpkins put out a door, you know, like mm. it's like a totally different sound. And I think that it predicted a little bit where Linkin Park was going to go a few albums down the road when they, they left the new metal format for a little while. I do have a note here that it was first performed at K-Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas, which have you ever been to an Almost Acoustic Christmas? I have not. That's where I saw Orgy for the first time and the okay. last time. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> jingle balls, rock your fucking face <laughs> off, Merry Christmas. Uh, one of those deals. We right. want to do a high voltage. Oh, I didn't listen to high voltage. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, so high voltage was originally uh, another Zero song. and Hang on, let me listen to high voltage. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm putting it on. Sounds like Nazis marching. I hate it so. <laughs> right now, Nick is listening to the worst Mike Shinoda bars. He's he listening to talked the- about digging through crates while he was living in space. <laughs> yeah, this is like the most hip hop song that they've tried so far. Uh, Nick, can I re- can I reread you those lyrics? Yes. Okay, I'm not going to listen to any more of this. So let's back to your regularly scheduled show. Uh, this so this was a zero song. Uh, I believe Wakefield was originally on the vocals, and they redid it with uh, Chester. Back to those lyrics. <clears throat> I'm not even going to rap these. I'm just going to read okay. them to you. Let's go. I've been digging into crates ever since I was living in space. Before the rat race, before monkeys had human traits, I mastered numerology and Big Bang theory. Performed lobotomies with telekinetic psychology. Oh my god! What does that mean? It means that he like really liked Wu Tang, but he didn't get it. <laughs> it means that he, you know what? At least you know your lane, and you know I was a rich kid living in California. It's really nice, and I don't have to warn you. Yeah, I went. I went to prom, and I won prom king. Don't worry about me, cause I got everything. Like, yeah, you can't do that because you'll get called out in the right. Second. I mean, I think generally you don't need to sing about monkeys ever. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no. Before monkeys had human traits, I was living it. Oh, oh, no. And like, I know you got stories in you. It's just here, they're playing it safe. Uh, one of the things we haven't mentioned on this album, no swearing. Oh, yeah. Not one You're swear right. word. You're right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was no swearing on this album. I don't believe there was any swearing on Meteora. I did not listen to anything after Meteora, but I did. I did today, and boy, they let that rule go because they were dropping fuck bombs left oh, really? and right. Oh yeah, man! Interesting. 
Yeah, I think once once they were like, oh, we're one of the biggest bands in the world and we don't have to do what our fucking producer tells us to, uh, right. they, they kind of loosened up on where they were at and what they were singing about. I'll, I'll probably listen to the singles off of the newer records and, and just... I got to tell you, dude, I was super impressed. Hunting Party was the one mm-hmm. I listened to today. It's got appearances on both guitar and vocals from Paige Hamilton from Helmet. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's fucking dropping in on that. On another one of their songs, they got Pusha T. He came. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So at this point, we have to talk about the artwork, don't yes, we? Yes, we do. All right. So it is like a kind of a stencil graffiti style image. It's a, a soldier with dragonfly wings. Very of the time. Yeah. He, he, Mike illustrated the soldier himself. Um, and you know, the idea of the soldier with dragonfly wings was to describe the blending of hard rock and soft musical elements. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. You know, a very forgettable, kind of boring album cover but it's not as horrible as like seven dusts album cover no it's not uh there was a little bit of thought put into this and i will give them credit when you are uh flipping at lightning speed through all the cds in the borders uh that you are not going to buy uh link park stuck out and there's probably a lot of a lot of suburban 41 year olds with a tattoo of a soldier with dragon oh you fucking know it you know there is And and their kids are like, I want my iPad. I want my iPad. He's like, shut up when I'm talking to you. (laughs) All right. So let's get into the where are they now? Linkin Park went on to put out seven full length albums and a whole bunch of live albums. Um, Right after Hybrid Theory, they put out a remix album called Reanimation Mm -hmm. that had remixes of Hybrid Theory. Some of the remixes were done by Jay Gordon from Orgy, Jonathan Davis, Marilyn Manson, amongst others. Yeah, it's it's a good remix album. Yeah, it's it's fun to listen to. I, I wasn't interested in it at the time because... I was more interested in the, like the heavy guitar stuff than I was about the DJ stuff. But now going back, it's, it's pretty cool to listen to. So in May of 2017, the band released One More Light. A North American tour was announced, but sadly wouldn't happen. On July 20th, 2017, Chester Bennington took his own life at 41 years old, uh, leaving behind a wife and six children. Now, this was only two months after Chris Cornell from Soundgarden passed away. Mm-hmm. Both men had hung themselves. After Cornell's death, Chester performed the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah, at Chris Cornell's funeral. On August 4th, 2017, Lincoln Park was scheduled to play on Good Morning America. Instead, Chris Cornell's 12-year-old daughter, Tony, performed Hallelujah with One Republic as a tribute to both Cornell and Chester. Tony Cornell was Chester Bennington's goddaughter. Oh, holy fuck, that's heartbreaking. So these two men were close, and now they're forever linked. And in fact, the day that Chester died would have been Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. Jesus. For those of you listening, if you haven't heard it yet, go and look up on YouTube Chris Cornell coming out with Linkin Park and performing Crawling. And hearing Chris Cornell's vocals on that song with the band behind him and then, I mean, it's amazing. It's an absolutely amazing song. And it's an absolutely amazing rendition of it. And it's also tinged with sadness because, you know, both those men are going to die from suicide. And it's, it's right. you know, it sucks. Do you remember hearing about that? Like, do you remember, like, kind of where you were? Yeah, at I, was, and- I was sitting at my desk at work. And, like, I think I, I think I saw it come across Twitter. And I was just like, God damn. It was interesting for me because, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, Lincoln Park was one of those things where like you loved it, but you were also kind of on your way out and it had to be too cool for school. And when he died and you went to social media, all of the people who you knew were like, holy shit, I loved Lincoln Park. Hybrid mm-hmm. was such an amazing album. Yeah, it, it absolutely happened. And like everybody just gave up the pretense and just uh, and let it all hang out there. And it wasn't about being too cool. It was about, oh, my God, this impacted me so much. Yeah, that's a good note. So Mike Shinoda says the band will go on. Um, they have started saying they're starting to make new music. They have definitely not announced that they're replacing Chester Bennington or what the concept is going to be. But the band has sold 100 million records worldwide. They were the first band to achieve more than a billion YouTube hits, largely on the strength of their music videos, which, as we mentioned, you'll get a whole episode from us about those videos. Absolutely. Go ahead and watch those and get prepared for eventually when we when we do this. And there's more than you think. Um, I want to end the show by talking about the philanthropy of Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. I've never heard a negative story about a member of Lincoln Park. 
they all seem like pretty good dudes. Uh, I met them once. They all kind of kept to themselves, but Chester was really nice. So that's really? cool. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it was work related. So I was working in Las Vegas at the time. It was a contest uh, where high-end casino guests were able to like accumulate a certain amount of points based on gambling. Mm-hmm. And then they could redeem them for certain things. And one of those things was uh, tickets to see Lincoln Park play in Las Vegas in a meet and greet at uh, Chester's Tattoo Shop. So I, I escorted the group down there. And we only got uh, one click, which is you, I literally had to hire a photographer to take the picture. And literally everybody together, okay, smile, click, that's it. You don't get multiple pictures. We got one big group picture. <laughs> like if somebody was blinking tough shit, the world of uh, celebrity meet and greets is is very strange. But <laughs> Chester was personable. The rest of the dudes looked kind of tired mm-hmm. and like they just wanted to get it done and get out of there. But Chester talked to everybody. and I appreciated that a lot. Cool. So in 2005, Lincoln Park established Music for Relief, which is a nonprofit founded to aid victims of global catastrophes and global warming. Uh, Music for Relief has responded to more than 30 natural disasters across four continents with immediate aid and long-term recovery with a focus on sustainability. So like they've done a tremendous amount of great things across the world and in the United States, uh, including they've reduced and offset harmful emissions produced by touring artists by 882 tons. They established Download to Donate for Haiti in response to the devastating earthquake to raise funds and awareness, and they did two rounds of that. They've implemented disaster relief programs in Haiti and Chile, flooding in Pakistan. They've planted a million trees, and it just keeps going on. They, they literally, like Lincoln Park participated in the United Nations Foundation event, Rio Plus Social, which was centered around the Rio Plus 20 climate meetings in order to initiate global conversation about how social media and technology can advance sustainable development. So this is like way beyond like normal charity work. Lincoln Park met with the United Nations. Pay attention, Chris Taylor Brown. <laughs> right. That's how this is how you do it. Yeah. And then aside from the band, the guitarist Brad Delson, who we really haven't made fun of enough for wearing gun range earphones on his head oh every time they play a show. It, it, um, how can you make fun of him? Because he makes fun of himself every time he walks out there. There's yeah. nothing left to say except like, yeah. I, I guess... If I were a member or a touring crew on Lincoln Park, I would just be like, oh, God, is today the day he kills us all? (laughs) (laughs) But no, he he seems like a cool dude, too. So Brad Delson and his wife established the Delson Scholarship Fund at UCLA, which annually awards four-year scholarships to students from Huntington Park. And he's also an official supporter of Little Kids Rock, which is a nonprofit organization that provides free musical instruments and instructions to children in underserved public schools throughout the United States. Through your generous efforts, they've been able to build 100 new gun ranges for children to practice <laughs> firearm safety on. He's he's actually personally delivering instruments to children in the program, and he sits on the organization's board of directors. So, like, I, I don't know what else the rest of them have done, but just that is more than every other band that we've ever talked about added together. I think it's amazing to watch, like, these guys that started a rock band regardless if they were put together or whatever, use their platform to absolutely like positively impact the globe outside of music and that rules. Another charity that was started after Chester's passing was uh, by his widow, Talinda Bennington, and that is the 320 Changes Direction Initiative that is geared towards providing uh, awareness and support and helping erase the stigma of mental illness. And it's, uh, it's a really cool initiative. What have you been listening to, Kevin? I have been listening to the three most recent singles from uh, Alexis on Fire. While they haven't officially announced that they are writing a new album, and they've been largely dormant since, I think, their reunion 2015, these are a good sign. So they just released uh, Season of the Flood. It is an absolute banger. Uh, It's about six minutes long. It encapsulates the full, like, power of Lexus on fire. And if this is where their new album is going, I am here for it. What about you? Um, Skeleton Coast by the Lawrence Arms. Um, you know, one of our favorite bands from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it feels like, you know, those guys go off and do their own thing and live their own lives. And then every four years they come back together to put out Banger. And it makes me happy every time. Yeah. Dude. It's great. It's a, it's an amazing album. Yeah, it's super good. I don't even know what song to recommend. All of it. Just yeah. all of it, start yeah. to finish. It's, it's a great it's album. Good. I mean, and it's it's the kind of record that it's got 14 songs on it, and it's only 34 minutes long. That's about the same length as Hoobastank, and it just feels oh, like... Oh, man. Think about that. Seriously. 
Oh, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm still angry about the Hoobah Steak episode. <laughs> um, all right. So what are we uh, what are we talking about in, uh, in two weeks, Kevin? Well, if you were angry about Hoobastank, you're about to fucking hate me because we are going to be revisiting the third full-length album, Hard to Swallow, by rapper Vanilla Ice. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be super fun. (laughs) All right. I like it. Uh, Yeah, he definitely did a new metal album. Yes, he did. All right. That's yeah, that sounds awesome. All right, cool. Um, This uh, episode is dedicated to Chester Bennington. If anyone listening finds himself in a dark spot and is contemplating suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Absolutely. Unless that person is Chris Taylor Brown, in which case, do it. Do it. Do it, bro. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, remember when we said we were going to be positive? All right. Uh, And of course, we don't truly mean that, but do it. (laughs) All right. We'll see you on Thursday with the next mosh pit. Later. Later.